Haas. Yep, you're you're on, you're on. <laughs> but uh, it's the Guardian of Chaos, and this is the Cheap Heat Productions podcast. And let's go. Welcome back to the show. There's no need for me to introduce this man. He's just introduced himself. The Guardian of Chaos. <laughs> Maurice, thanks for having me on. That was a kick-ass opening. I was jamming out. And that's right. It's me. It's me. It's the GOC. And the GOC stands for the Guardian of Chaos. Thanks for having me here on Cheap Heat Productions, brother. It doesn't get any better than that. And a big shout out to everybody across the pond, everybody over there in Ireland. I greatly appreciate you having me on, brother. Yeah, thanks very much, man. It, funny enough, like this is based in Ireland, but most of our views actually come from the States. Uh, because of the guests we have on, we'd have a lot of American guests on, particularly in the, the wrestling field, as you touched on, like Evan Ginsberg and a few writers and different people. Now, next week, I have another former WWE writer on as well, Brian Solomon. So just try to get as many people that were that are kind of involved in the business, whether it be refereeing, ring announcers, yourself being a former manager it's good to get like aspects i think from people from all all angles of the business if you will well again i greatly appreciate it and uh, i've followed your channel i've subscribed and you have some excellent videos out there i i've seen uh the ones uh, uh the one with evan ginsburg i've seen the ones with mario mancini i even saw with bird and and, and ginger lynn and yeah and all the different personalities that you bring on. And I'm looking forward to Brian Solomon, another guy who's an incredible reporter and writer. I think he's been in the business 20 or 25 years. And Evan Ginsberg, it doesn't get any better than that. 350 days, the wrestler. Yeah, that was an interesting conversation, Maurice. Yeah. For yourself, man, like uh, the wrestling world, it's a crazy world. How did it? start for you or when did you decide that you wanted to kind of dip your toes into it and once you're in it you're never out that's what i always say to people well certainly a crazy crazy world but i'm blessed and fortunate uh, i go back to being a fan in the in the early 70s as a eight nine ten year old boy going to the local arenas here in the constitution state whether it be the new haven coliseum the hartford civic center going up to the boston garden or down to madison square garden we are literally stuck here in the tri-state northeast area in some of the most famous arenas, whether it be, as I said, Boston Garden, Madison Square Garden. You could even throw in the Jersey Meadowlands. So as a, a young boy in the 70s, my first match that, that I witnessed as a fan, because let's face it, we're all fans. We're all marks. I don't get offended by that. Was <laughs> Bruno San Martino, Stan the Man, Stasiak, Tor Kamada. The Valiant Brothers. I go back to those days in the early 70s, got hooked on it, 
my parents more recently said, let's take this kid to the live matches. He'll see what it's really all about. And he'll never watch it again. We won't have to stay up till midnight and watch it on WOR out of New York. And so they took me there and I was hooked forever. We did backyard wrestling in the 70s before people knew what backyard wrestling was. I remember imitating and going out and getting our own shirts made of the Valiant Brothers and Johnny, Jimmy, and Jerry. Uh, and then as I got into high school, stayed all uh, a fan, went to college at Southern Connecticut. From there at 20, 21 years old, I want to say this is 1984, Maurice, Quest facility, legendary training facility here in this New England tri-state area. Uh, you know it. Uh, you've heard Mario talk about it. And uh, from Paul Roma and Tony Altamori and David Schultz and Dave Barbie and Mark Thomas and big Steve Tracy. And the list goes on and on with guys that came through there and even trained there. I went there for a few weeks, thought I was in great shape. Again, I was I got a little bit late of a start, probably 21, I want to say I was. And ran into Mario. Tony Altamori, and they beat me, Maurice, not like they do now at all. And I'm no disrespect against anyone. They're all great athletes. They all train very, very hard. I respect anybody in any capacity that steps into the ring. They beat me from pillar to post. I basically, after shortchanging on the tuition, walked out of there with my tail between my legs and realized that I was not at that point in great shape. Like I said, played sports, athlete, the whole nine yards. Just it didn't make it. So I had to walk away, be humble. And from there, it goes on to a, just a long story. I went on to the Department of Corrections. I served in the, in the prison system for 25 years, but I never lost that dream or that hope. And being a fan, over five decades as a smart, a mark, a historian, a student of the game, a scout, whatever you want to call it. And then over three decades as a professional wrestling manager, where I've managed over 20, 25 WWE Hall of Famers. So in 89, I hooked up with a friend of mine, Lenny, who's now also on law enforcement, 88, 89, traveled down and hooked up with the Samoan SWAT team, Freebird, Michael Hayes, Jack Victory, Ron Simmons, Butch Reed in that era, even before uh, Scott Steiner had signed with WCW. And we got a chance to travel and, and the road warriors were feuding with the SST at, at that time. So I was blessed and fortunate to be able to travel around from different states back in that era after not making it at the school, years later hooking up, you know, in the early 80s, say what, five years later, and learning the business. I got to sit backstage in the dressing room, the hotels, the restaurants, and listen to the legends from WCW who were young themselves at that, but to hear of the ring psychology. And I remember leaving the Baltimore arena and traveling with uh, the SST and Michael Hayes was in the vehicle. And, you know, I'm just a, a fan at that point. You know, I'm still trying to research and haven't broken into the business, leaving the arena and talk about the real heat and kayfabe being alive. And there were a good 50 or 60 fans waiting out of the ramp at the Baltimore arena, throwing water bottles and beer cans because the SST was in there and Michael Hayes. And just to be able to experience that. Now, at that point, I'm in my middle 20s. I don't end up making my managerial debut because I did not want to give up. Wasn't going to leave the Department of Corrections. I had two kids at the time. So uh, I had to go with the bread and butter. Uh, thank God that I did that, but never lost that dream. And then went back in 1992 and made my official debut in the independence from everywhere from Rocky Jones School, Gino Caruso, 
uh, Iron Mike Sharp, Johnny Rods in the independents all over the Northeast New England area, area as an independent professional wrestling manager molded after all of my different influences, whether it be Captain Lou Albano, Jesse Ventura, Bobby Heenan, Freddie Blassie. So, you know, we're a little over eight minutes in here. I just want to, your fans don't know me. Uh, I call myself the most well-known unknown. I've been around a long time. Uh, <laughs> but so just to give the fans a backstory, then from there, 92, all the way through the 90s, and I'm getting ahead of myself, and we could talk about that. But that's how it how it started, and that's how I originally, that's why Mario and I and the guys at Paradise Alley from Paul Roma and especially Mario, we go back over 30 years. We had lost touch for a little while and then rehooked back up together. And of course, now I do the commentary and broadcasting at Paradise Alley Pro Wrestling. So I'm hoping we can delve into that too. So that, that that's the whole connection here, Maurice. Uh, you know, as I uh, as I ramble on here on Cheap Heat Productions, baby. We will certainly get into that. But I, I want to know, as a manager, um, in the wrestling business um what is the psychology like of being a manager and how important is it to the fans like to have a manager there that's involved in the product you know not just standing there at ringside like was there any kind of characteristics that you brought to the table or were you given much freedom in in managerial roles over the years i was given uh, by a lot of promoters carte blanche because maurice I, I brought a lot to the table i couldn't make it as a worker but I could still get in there as a big guy. Back then I was 330 pounds, six feet tall. You know, now I'm down to 225, 230. I was in great shape. So I brought that, I wore feathers, the glasses. This has been the gimmick for years. And I was able to get in as a manager because I would take those one or two or three big bumps. You know, who's this big fat guy running around the ring looking like this kind of an oxymoron, a combination of, my influences, as I said, I was raised and looked at guys like the Grand Wizard and Freddie Blassie and Gary Hart and, and so on and so forth. Like I said, uh, Captain Lou Albano, Jimmy Hart, Jim Cornette, and even as a, as a young man, those were my influences. And then I was able, able to pick their brain, a lot of those guys, and work with them. So I brought everything to the table, Maurice, when I first started. I set up the ring. I swept the floors. I, I, I helped sell uh, uh, if I had two concessions. Thank God that didn't last that long. I traveled two, three, four hours in a hatchback with other independent workers uh, trying to latch on. And sometimes you didn't get on the show. And sometimes they used the workers that I was with, but they didn't have a need for a manager or you didn't get paid. And that was it was still almost territorial there in the in the early 90s. So I sold tickets, I hung up flyers, I did interviews. You know, I'm a guy that does pen to paper. This, you need a team, you need a village, you need a backbone in a company to spread a show. Each worker should be trying to get their family, friends there. And that's what's lost in today's business of the independent circuit. And I live right now in a hotbed in the New England Northeast tri-state area on any given month, there's a half dozen to seven different organizations running in this state. And if you went with the whole area of New York, New Jersey, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and any one month, there's 25 shows in this area using guys from AEW and, and MLW and the NWA. And it's an impact. It really is a hotbed. And the stars 
that are coming out of this area. So getting back to your original question, so that's why I was valuable to anyone that I worked for. And I was able to have creative freedom. And of course, I have to thank all the workers that agreed to work with me. And then as it went on later, I would develop my own posse of guys that trusted me and knew what I brought to the table. And again, you can compare my work as a manager. A lot of it's up on my social media. I'm a cross between, I, I'd like to think, a little bit of everybody mixed with my own character, which was very over the top, as you could tell. And managers have lost their way. Uh, when I had a lot of success in the middle and late 90s, they were transitioning to valets and TNA. At one time, it was just Medusa, Sherry Martell, Miss Elizabeth, you know, Missy Hyatt, Precious, Baby Doll. That was about it. And they had their certain roles. You know, and some of them were great wrestlers, too, as Martel, Martel, uh, Sherry Martel and Medusa. But you didn't have a lot of it. And then you transitioned to, in the 90s, of in the Attitude Era, and your sonnies. And then the old school traditional manager, a la myself, because that's what I am, was pushed to the side in the business. And only a few people hung around. You know, Bill Alfonso's came around and your Joel Gertner's and people like that. And it's phased out. And now, in 2022, it's basically Paul Heyman. Yeah. You look at the bigger organizations. Thank God AEW has brought back and used the legends in the right way, whether it be Tully, uh, Blanchard, Arne Anderson, Jake the Snake, whether to bring him back, Taz, the different guys that they have brought back to give the rub to the younger talent and use them in those roles. I, I, I really enjoy that. So that's, that's what I think of a long-winded answer. This is what I do. I ramble. I go on and on and on. It's what I'm going But the manager role should be brought back. And uh, that's where I think my career personally, as it affected me, got lost in a shuffle. And the psychology of a manager is to put your, yes, you're going to get a little bit of the rub naturally. That That's not what you're there for. You don't want to overpower your guys, which sometimes teams and I and singles wrestlers didn't work because sometimes I was bigger than the worker or sometimes I overshadowed them and brought too much heat. But make no mistake about it. I was a heel and brought heat wherever I went. And when I was had people lucky enough for allow them to let me work with them, uh, you bring a lot on the mic and the physical distraction outside. And that's that's what I think a manager brings, having the emotion, knowing your spots. And listen, I screwed up many a time. There's a famous quote I use all the time about learning the business and emotional investment and ring psychology and getting the people to come back. Uh, worked with Team 3D, Bubba and, and Divan, the Dudley Boys, for the NWA World Tag Team titles. I was with Oman Tortuga, Diablo Santiago of the Outside Killers. Now, it was an independent show, but for a big group, you had a couple thousand people there, and it was for the NWA titles. And I had my four or five spots with Bully and Divan. Ended up taking the what's up. They brought me in the hard way. Dusty, uh, Dusty, Bully gives you the Dusty, boom, 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 bang. You, you sell an elbow and then he picks you up and body slams you. Well, after he gave me the dusty, I sold the elbow because he really got me on the top. He took my glasses off. I went down like I was a tuna being pulled out of a boat floundering on the deck. So I sold it. So he covered because he's such a professional two-time Hall of Famer, uh, you know, busted open radio the whole nine. He knew exactly. Okay. Big Daddy sold the elbow. He wasn't supposed to, but you go with it. He took my glasses, came around, got me like the wishbone, Devon to the top rope. Ah, the what's up? And they <laughs> get 
this bone. And we went right on and nobody else knew it. And the transition was perfect. We knew it. As soon as we got backstage within 30 seconds, there's a, a you know, Bully, Bubba, and, and Devon. I said, you know, hope it was okay. The match went pretty good. The crowd was was crazy. And he said, Big Daddy, Big Daddy, he said, Give the Guardian of Chaos five spots and he'll fuck up four of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> it'd be a compliment coming from Bully Ray. So, uh, you know, just just to bounce around here and different things and what the role is of a manager and how important it can be. And I and I hope it comes back for the younger generation. So I hope that I hope that answers it. <laughs> I think I think that I think that kind of covers it for people that mightn't know. Then you mentioned like twenty five. Hall of Famers you've managed. You want to list out some of them so people know. Oh, boy. Jeez, I did this when I was lucky enough to go into the uh, New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame class of 2019, which an undersold Hall of Fame with so many WWE, WCW, ECW legends that are in that Hall of Fame. Uh, just off the top of my head, just about the whole Samoan dynasty from Yokozona to Rikishi to Umaga, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, King Kong Bundy, the Bushwhackers, Terry Funk, uh, the list goes on and on. So I think I said Sergeant Slaughter already. I mean, Public Enemy, Pat Tanaka. Again, Maurice, I'd, I'd have to really look at it. But those are just guys, household names that, you know, even yeah. you guys like Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman and, and Homicide. And, you know, I was bl blessed and fortunate to be on some of the same shows to pick the brain of guys like Tito Santana or Kurt Angle or Christian Cage, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Dusty Rhodes, Kamala, Al Snow, to be able to, and that's the biggest thing that I've taken away from my managerial career. Besides the in-ring stuff, you know, I worked an unbelievable uh, a couple of matches with Mick Foley and Jerry the King Lawler, uh, where I was managing Slick Wagner Brown. And, and just to be able to, you know, listen to those guys compliment you and say it was easy and geez the guys in the guy in the last town just didn't sell it and you know that's what i take away from it and learning from everybody seeing i even had a chance to take over seeing some of the legends and even people when i was a young man and even middle age and then being able to work with them and learn from them and listen to the conversations although i was never great i just shut up and listen i, I did listen uh that that's more memorable than anything and being able to work the same shows with, with, with the rock and, and taking over commissioner for Bruno San Martino and the NAWA from back in the eighties and nineties. And, you know, being that their commissioner for 20 years and just being able to do that work, private security for the likes of Matt Hardy or John Cena. And, you know, I know I'm name dropping here and then being in the music industry and being able to work private events or and big shows for Metallica or LL Cool J or or different bands like that. Jimmy Buffett, Steve Miller, that, you know, being on Jerry Springer and Ricky Lake as a character and being able to put the Big Daddy brand out there, you know, made a couple of B movies that right there, the connections, the community and, and just being able to hook up with regular people. And then, of course, it's always nice years from now, whether it be your kids or my, my, my granddaughter, to be able to look at stuff like that. And here down in the bunker, you could see the memorabilia coming up as Wild Wild Wrestling. I hope we can talk about that. Just the pictures and and stuff like that. It's enough for me, Maurice. I don't know if I cut out or not. No, but no, I, no, you didn't. I was just uh, I was just showing your background there. I took myself out of stream. Jerry Springer, now there's something I want to talk about. 
how 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 fake is Jerry Springer or how real is Jerry well, Springer? Uh, tell me the secrets. Well, I'm going to say that to say this because I tell it like it is. Jerry Springer, I was on in 04. It led to a nice spot and a clip on Talk Soup, which was big back in the day. Uh, we were reported on CNN, which before they became the, how crazy they are now in the mainstream media. That's another conversation for another time. They saw me. This is when I was actually working for a lot of groups out in the Midwest, Las Vegas, Chicago, Hammond, Indiana, the World Wrestling Zone, the AWA superstars of wrestling. That's where I met Justin Roberts, uh, Heaven and Hell, uh, who was in the WWE, Johnny Stewart, who was in the AWA at the time, Dale Gagne and all those hucksters. But Justin Roberts, who, who actually put me over in his book, was the current AEW ring announcer, perhaps one of the best ever, you know, put me over in his book and how we had worked with The Rock and back then. So that's when I met those guys. I had run into a producer by the name of Toby Yoshimura from the Jerry Springer Show. He saw me in a couple of videos from the events out in the Midwest, and they got in touch with me. Someone said, well, who is, who is that guy? You know, who? so they got my information, and they approached me. And at one time, in the, I guess you want to say the late 90s, early 2000s, Springer was as real as it could get. It wasn't in New York. I went out to Chicago, and they treated me like royalty. We hung out at the Crowbar. We hung out at, at the House of Blues, uh, the VIP room. I just missed Dennis Rodman by about five minutes uh, Literally at the time back then, you know, we got into the limo with Springer and, you know, had a couple of pops and all that. And it, it was a good storyline back then. They had toned it down. They wanted some reality to it as who you were. But with me, because I was lucky enough to be on there with Anthony from the Pitbulls and Little Genie, Sweet Destiny from WCW, uh, the Iron Sheik was on the same episode. Amazing tape. <laughs> yeah, the Sheik was on there. We hung up the night before in the hotel and boy all the stories about the sheep god bless them uh that they're, they're pretty much true so it was the time of a lifetime and they allowed me to represent big daddy the character although it was a storyline it was a storyline i'm going to say that to say this because i yeah i'm going to say it you know it's it's well known now anyway they're even here in stanford in connecticut where the you know in the shadows of titan towers and you know vince and everybody what's going on here so uh, they agreed to, again, limos, hotel, food, and they agreed to let me be Big Daddy and put me in a character. And as long as it was anything that was going to jeopardize my law enforcement or anything like that. And I agreed to do the storyline and it was seen by like six million people. And then the replay and then Talk Soup and CNN. So it was a great experience with Springer. And the same thing with Ricky Lake. It was just a short interview for two minutes. That was in the early 2000s. It was a show about pro wrestling that had a bunch of jabronis on there. Uh, well, including me, I guess. But, <laughs> so yeah, it was a lot of fun, which led into a, a movie that was released out to DVD, Six Figures, where I got to play a bouncer in a strip club, which wasn't uh, much of a reach. I had been a bouncer and a doorman besides a corrections officer my whole life from, you know, up and down the East Coast. So that's where it all led into. And then, of course, in the late 80s, as I'm get back to that was able to work shows with Rod Stewart and like I said Jimmy Buffett and Todd Rundgren and just being able to work the security backstage and bring a you know Slick Rick and Big Daddy Kane and De La Soul and, and LL back to their dressing rooms everybody had lobsters and Heineken's those are the things for <laughs> those the rock and roll sitting on the beach in the Bahamas with New Edition and Bobby Brown you know before they were even 
who they turned out to be. That's what I remember. And it's not about idol worship or names. It's about the person. It's about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, as I always say, repent, pray, prepare, repeat. I don't want to get too crazy. But it's about the relationships and the community and the brotherhood. Whether you see people in a week, two weeks, a year, 10 years, or 30 years, you have that connection. Almost like family. Although we know it's a crazy world. And you telephone, uh, telemarketer tell a wrestler you get it right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so you've been involved like in kind of a, a lot of forms of entertainment then as well like aside from the wrestling you touched on the movies and you touched on obviously the tv appearances and just for the record is that episode of jerry springer available to watch somewhere online yeah you know what I, i'm not sure but if you go to all my social media I have over a thousand videos on my YouTube channel. I'm very active on, on all forms. You'll, you'll see everything uh, from pillar to post. I owe a lot of people that have helped me out through the years. And especially, you know, I was out of the business uh, from 07 to like 2015, completely doing nothing, just concentrating on ending up retiring from my corrections career. And I went into the board of edge and work in security. And the only thing I've ever done in my life is communicate with people. Maurice, yeah. whether it be a corrections officer, a bounty hunter, and one of the gentlemen who first got me into the bounty hunting uh, business and, uh, and sent me on a, a handful of cases was Dr. D. David Schultz back in the, back in the day and uh, who was here in, in the Constitution State. So that's what I've done from the time I was, I was an illegal doorman back in the late 70s, early 80s at 17 years old, working the door in all the clubs and to the legendary clubs and I would leave college on spring break and stuff like that and go work in the clubs. So I've always been a people person, whether it was Jimmy Anvil, Neidhart, Yokozuna, the Samoan dynasty, anyone I ever worked with, you know why Maurice? It wasn't always because whether it was the compliments from Foley or Lawler or, or the guys on the independent circuit, like my brother, John Diamond or Primo Carnera, all the different guys that I've worked with, it, you know, it was about, you had to have the talent. You had to be able to work. You had to be able to sell. They had to be able to trust you. You didn't act like a mark or, or a fan or anything like that. You treat them like how you want to be treated. But the most success that I ever had in the business, because I wasn't a full-time worker and had to depend on others to help me and allow me to work, some of the best connections I ever made and some of the best shots I ever got and I got paid well as a manager, better than a lot of the workers, and was treated lavishly, surprisingly enough, because I was able to communicate, but was in a social setting, whether it be at the bar, the restaurant, the gym, the diner, uh, you know, just sitting around the ring before the show, hanging out after the show, social settings and circumstances, and getting people to know not just the guardian of chaos, Big Daddy, as the character, but Rick, who I really am as a person, and see, hey, and, you know, most people call me Big Daddy because I was bigger back then. But, hey, so the next time they come to town, no matter who it is, they're like, hey, is Daddy going to be in town? It's always a good time. He's respectful. He brings people with him. If I'm going to be able to work with somebody to, to get him in as a, as a manager, let's, let's request him. So a lot of people started requesting me in the late 90s, early 2000s, into the mid-2000s. And, you know, I, I walked away at that point uh, as a manager. But again, uh, you always get pulled back in. And now for the last bunch of years, working with Paradise Alley and uh, the last live chaos corner I had in, in my own show. And hopefully I'll give out my social media late, later so you can see the yep. spring video and all the different videos with all the legends and all the young lions and current stars. 
uh, I lost my train of thought there, but if you go to my YouTube channel, you'll, you'll get all those different things and being able to work with everyone and, and, and to my point of them allowing you has been the greatest thing that I could ever accomplish. I lost my yeah. original. Point. Yeah, that's fine. We're going to talk about Paradise Alley in a second, but I've got a, a fan question uh, from a big fan of yours, Mr. Mario Mancini. He wants to know who was the most influential person you met in the wrestling business? Well, without a doubt, I have to say back to even before I met Mario, probably 1983, was the Tonga Kid, Little Sam, the Samoans, and being around them in the early 80s. And then, of course, without a doubt, if you go by longevity and who I first met and then hooked up with him back later in the late 90s where we worked a, a big event together. And, uh, you know, and then now, especially for bringing life back into me uh, in the wrestling business, and that would be Mario would definitely be one of the guys that influenced me. But if you go in the business, it would be Captain Lou Albano who I had a chance to work with or the likes of, like I said, Jesse Ventura, Don Morocco, the Road Warriors, the Valiant Brothers. You know, uh, I was able to work with Jimmy Snuka and his son years ago. So different people like that, it, that gave you advice. It, they've all had an influence, even a lot of the local independent guys, because it didn't matter if, you know, I never worked in a big arena or anything like that. I never signed a contract. I was never a professional wrestler. But being able to work with these guys, again, I keep repeating that point. Those are the guys that influenced me. Being able to talk to Jim Cornette and pick his brain or Gary Hart, that, that's priceless, Maurice. And I'm glad Mario's watching because usually nobody watches the fucking shows. Can I say that? <laughs> Swear on TP Productions. I mean, you had Ginger Lynn on. I'm sure I could swear. No respect. No disrespect, Ginger. Oh, you disrespect. could say whatever you want, man. Oh, so I could say that. Oh, excellent. Uh, I'm glad Mario's she, watching. Yeah, she she didn't hold back in what she had to say. It was a good interview. It, it, it was a good interview. And I remember uh, being with Ginger back in the 80s. She doesn't remember it, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. I want to keep it there, rated there, PG, uh, you know, in case my family ever comes back and watches this. I got to. There might it. be, there might be another video online. We have to find. <laughs> <laughs> That's listen, uh, Maurice. I always learn to destroy. The always remember that. That's a good one. That's a good one. Now, this is got a this is a big show happening. Well, it's actually happening today. When like when this video comes out, it'll be Wednesday. Wild Wild Wrestling, but. I want to know, first of all, I'll get that back up in a second. How did you become involved in this company? And for people that don't know, what's your role there? And talk about the team that you have, because you've got a really experienced team of guys there in the business. Well, uh, like I said, uh, I knew I met Mario back in 1984. Uh, I met Paul Rome around the same time, but not through wrestling. Uh, Rehooked up with uh, Mario and Paul because Paradise Alley was running in the same town where I was working for the Board of Education, working security, and they were having a fundraiser for a student who was tragically killed in an automobile accident at the school where, the high school where I was working security. So they came walking in after not seeing them since 99, 2000, when we were both working for the NAWA. Uh, and there was Mario and the guys and Sergeant Murray and we rehooked up and I got interested in it. And that same year, I, my oldest daughter in 2015 had passed away. So I needed something for a distraction. And 
seeing Mario and the wrestling business and all that after it's like coming home, man. It, it was like coming home. It was that familiar feeling. So I, Mario was doing a, uh, a local cable access show at the time, uh, that's been on for years here in this area. And, uh, they, I went down there to get tickets for, for the Michael J. D'Angelo, uh, Memorial Scholarship Foundation and Diesel Mania, which we've, uh, Paradise Alley's have Diesel Mania five so far. Diesel Mania six will be coming up on, I'm sure uh, at some point. So it was uh, in honor of a fundraiser for the student and uh, they bought scoreboards for the local high school and it was a huge success. And they brought in everyone from Booker T to Deona Perrazzo to A.R. Fox and, and all the stars from Paradise Island. It was a successful event. And from the TV studio, Mario and I hooked up. We have a lot of stories about different things that we've been on from podcasts to radio to TV. And, you know, we've been censored and thrown off the air more times than you can imagine. Uh, you know, I, I always say, you know, fuck the FCC, but we, we always thrown <laughs> off the air. So we hooked up there and after talking to, to big Dave paradise and, and, and Roma and stuff, they said, Hey, you know, why don't you come in and do some broadcasting and commentary, you know, cause I wasn't active at that point. And I was like, sure. Uh, you know, so I, at first, it was Mario and I doing the broadcasting, and the shows were great. They're drawing good people and giving back to the young guys and trying to be a part of a family and, and, and running a local company like it was a territory back in the days and just the brotherhood and just being able to just pass on your knowledge and morals and ethics. Because one thing Paradise Alley Pro Wrestling does, and let's not, I wasn't there from the beginning. It was Paul Perez, Paul Roma. Big Steve Tracy, a.k.a. Dave Paradise, and Mario Mancini, who is the owner. So they opened up that school in 2014, 2015, just to be a school. But it became so successful, and this is such a good area, that they ended up running shows. It became very, very successful and used more stars right now that are in current and in the indies and in the big time than you can imagine. So they give back. They were doing fundraisers. Camp Rising Sun, which is Kids for Cancer, Autism, local food banks and animal shelters, uh, all the different events, you know, fundraisers for schools to get sports equipment, giving back to the community, building these students that came in, female and male, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old young people, and giving them the regiment, not only in wrestling and knowledge and how to be a person and respectful and listen and, and, and all that, but in life. And, and that's what it's all about. And that's what Paradise Alley really does. Uh, and, and it was a big part. Now, it's not as much fundraising now, but they'll always be a part of Paradise Alley. So that's how I've, I've hung on. And to see the different broadcasters and ring announcers and talents that have come through and always already been successful, whether it be Richard Holiday, uh, you know, who, who's a, a, a star right now and, and the veterans like the House of Pain or Showtime Marcel Williams or the young guys coming up like the Miracle Generation. And we could all talk about that, including the local legends and, and just your regular everyday students right now that are becoming better by the day. And I'll just throw out names from the Battle Academy, the Sunset Steve. And, uh, you know, I'm missing names and we could talk about that. But that's what Paradise Alley does. That's my role. Another thing I try to do is I try to hang up even at my age now. What I learned 30 years ago, 35 years ago, I try to still sell tickets, hang up posters, post on social media, put other people over, bring attention to the community and doing something because you still have the passion for it. People say, yeah, man, grow up, it's fake, this, that. I'll give you fake. Get in the ring. 
Get it? I challenge any one of you people out there, anyone who's not a fan, or never grow up, get in the fucking ring, and I'll put someone in there who's a jobber or Mario will come down. To, it's an open challenge. An open challenge, and, and Mario hates when people do that in the ring. It's an open challenge for anyone to come down to that school anytime and come out of there after five or ten minutes if you can make it. Even if you're a good athlete, you'll have to come out and admit. It's like being a stuntman. Oh, choreographed, scripted, this, that. So people go over and talk about stuff. But the physical ability and the pounding and the punishment that people take when they're in that ring there's no off season, but although I get nowadays in AEW and WWE, they wrestle like five times a month when back in the day you're wrestling 28 times a month. But I challenge anyone, and this is where the passion comes out. And when people say it's fake, I'll give it to you. It's, it's sports. It's entertainment. It's like an opera. It's like a movie. When you go to the movie, when everyone goes to see Top Gun with that uh, Tom Cruise and all that, it's a movie. Although there's subliminal propaganda, that's another story and podcast for another time. <laughs> Just like going to a theater, going to Broadway, going, it, we realize that there's not an outcome it's, uh, of like a final result like football or baseball or soccer. I get that. But it's theater, it's opera, it's performance, it's an art. And if you can't see that or understand that, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I, I really, I really don't. That's that's how I see it. As someone who is, you know, I'm a little older than Mario. You know, I'm I'm going to be uh, 59 in, in a couple of months. And again, I've been around this business since I was seven or eight years old as a fan, and then meeting people in, in my late teens, early 20s, and here I am. And I'll be covering Forbidden Door tonight, and I still try to do things, and I don't care. If there's three people or no people or a thousand people or ten thousand people, it doesn't matter because it's for me also not only to give back to the fans because I enjoy it, but it's my in this day and age in 2022 with inflation and crime and wars and rumors of wars and people talking biblical prophecy and food chains and and everything else, power grid and all that bullshit that's happening right now. You need a distraction. Yeah. You pray and you read daily. That's what you're supposed to do as a good Christian. We have to bring God and bring all that back. But that's why I do all this. And that's why I'm still on social media. Even my wife says to me or my family, what are you doing at almost 60 years old, putting shit from 25, 30 years ago and putting your, listen, it's not harming anyone. I'm not putting out my personal business. It's true. It's facts. And it's also my stress reliever for this day and age. And it's, yeah. and again, it's just like it's the, the wrestling concept. Whether there's 20 people or 30,000 people, you still put your best effort forward when it comes to being a performer in this business. I would think it's like that in life as well. And that's that's what I try to give back to people. You watch my show, Maurice. And again, you have uh, over 1,500 subscribers. You're growing. You have great interviews. You know, I follow people that have 150,000 followers. It's not about that. It's about what you want to present, you want to project. And, and that that's the way I see it. That's coming from my own personal opinion, you know. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there now. But this, this event tonight is going to be on Fight TV as well. And I just want to kind of touch on what you touched on earlier. Like, it seems like for me looking at, because obviously Ireland's a very small country, we have maybe four to five different wrestling promotions here. We got one really big one. OTT wrestling that you may have heard of before, over the top wrestling. If not, you should check them yeah, out. You would I enjoy have, it. Over the top wrestling. 
Yeah. I do so I'm a historian. I've watched countless videos and hours of, of footage still to this day, Maurice. Yeah. But what I was going to say is like, it seems to be a really kind of exciting time in the States with smaller promotions being able to be put out there on platforms like Fight TV, have their own TV shows if they want. Like, do you feel that there's there's something for everyone now in the wrestling business with with apps like that and with people being able to put out shows. Well, of course, absolutely. That's a, that's a that's a great uh, valid observation. And I'll say that to say this: uh, be, wrestling is on. Besides the bigger organizations, and we're going to count the mothership of the WWE. It's on Monday nights for Raw. It's on Tuesday nights for NXT, and it's on SmackDown on Fox on Friday nights. You have eight on YouTube. You have AEW Dark and Dark Elevation on Mondays and Tuesdays. You have MLW on YouTube. You have the NWA, which is a great show. You have Impact Wrestling. You have AEW on Wednesday nights as well. And then you have Rampage on, on Fridays. And then you have your occasional pay-per-views, and uh, like tonight, Forbidden Door, and then you throw in New Japan. And then all the independents, whether it be on High Spots Network, IWGTV, Fight Network, there's wrestling, YouTube. There's wrestling available more than it's ever been. Is it oversaturated? I guess you could say that, but that's good for the talent and good for the fans. So uh, to me, it, it's a great time now. And you, even here in, in this area, there's all kinds of streaming services and you just have access via the internet, which is a double-edged sword. The internet's a great thing and it's a bad thing as well. And hopefully we don't lose the power grid, but it, it is what it is. And, so, yeah, it's a viable option, and there's so much out there to consume, but you have to be picky. I watch all the big shows just because I want to see what's current, but I also go back to the network and, and YouTube, and I watch a lot of other things. I do a lot of retro reviews, and, and you know, the, the greatest times of pro wrestling, late 70s, early 80s, uh, late 80s, and then you, I guess, you know, when the Attitude Era came out, Maurice, and I'm jumping all over here about your question. When the Attitude Era came out in the middle 90s into the later 90s and the ECW and all that, at that point, my friend, I was already in 30 in my early 30s and, you know, uh, still was, you know, not super experienced in the business, but was experienced and working a lot of shows myself. So it wasn't like I was influenced like the kids that are in the demographic of 18 to 30 by the Attitude Era. I had already looked at it, although it was great. It was entertainment from the, you know, Stone Cold, DX, all, all the different things. To me, 70s and 80s were better than the Attitude Era. But I'm from a different generation, but I could still appreciate today. And what we're yeah. going to see, uh, you know, tonight for, for Wild Wild Wrestling and Paradise Alley Pro Wrestling is a combination of stars from the past, the present, and, and the future. And to your point, a company like Paradise Alley, one of several here in this area, is going to be on Fight TV. I mean, just, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible what the fans have at their access. And if you're a company, how you can promote your company and product. And it's, it's almost like the territory days again. And I know I went on and on about that. But again, Maurice, that's, that's what I do, man. It's my MO. Yeah. It's like the territories, I guess, but in a new kind of digital era as well you know and I, I i think like maybe back in the day i might be wrong on this but there was a lot of kind of opposition with territories and oh we're using this wrestler we don't want you to use this wrestler now everybody kind of seems to be singing off the same hymn sheet and you'll see a wrestler here on this show then you might see him here on this show the next night do you find that that it, that's easier to deal with companies these days well 
it's it, again, it, it can go both ways. I see a lot of companies cooperating. Again, perfect example is AEW tonight and, and New Japan, and you've seen it with Impact. And the only one who doesn't play that game is the WWE because they don't have to. But even on yeah. the independent circuit, a lot of the guys and the stars on the independent circuit and the workers on the independent circuit, they don't just work for one company. Those days of doing that, and even in the territories, although it's not what people make it out to be back in the territory days, if you do your due diligence and do your research, the territories were meant for you can go on to somewhere else and still continue to have a living. And it was much different than it is now being on the road and, and just the toll that it took. And you could you could still go work for other territories. And, and now... I, I guess you could say it's still the same. It's still the same because a lot of the talent, they work for all these other different organizations in the independent. But in the big time, you see it's still not that way. WWE, AEW, unless you get something like what Tony Khan's trying to do. So, I guess each era had their own problems with that and who you could work work for and who you couldn't work for. I'd have to say it's. I'm hoping I'm answering your question. A lot of the talent in the independent circuits work for multiple companies because if not you're not going to get your experience you're not going to get your exposure you're not going to work with different people and challenge yourself you can't stay in the same place it didn't work that way in the territories either you know what i mean yeah and you're not going to get your money which is most important as well just working in one place oh, all the time i'm going to say that to say this the money in, in in the business is is not is not great unless you're in the upper tier hey listen you have a better chance of making the nba or the nfl or major league baseball than than making big money there's only a handful of guys or the top guys that are making the big money uh you know you're really doing a lot of work for your money and the traveling and being on the road and you're not getting paid like the stars are in these other sports and i can attest to one on the independence i was making more back in the 90s as a manager who wasn't a full-time worker than most of the workers are making nowadays. Yeah. yeah. It just is what it is. And listen, unless there's money marks out there, there's a lot of people that overpay some of these independent workers and there's uh, companies that underpay. Uh, so if you're looking to make a living in the independent circuit, you better be prepared to travel all over and come out of your pocket before you ever expect to think that you're going to make a living because you'll still hold a job unless you get a, you know, uh, a tryout or a contract. It's not even a con. Uh, uh, if you sign a contract, it's a lot of people, even in the bigger organizations, WWE, AEW, you get paid upon appearance like it used to be back in, in WCW, NWAs, WWF back then as well. Mm -hmm. So I hope that I, I, I think I covered that. I think you did. Just before we wrap up today, and I've really enjoyed the conversation, I just want to know about you touched on it earlier, your YouTube channel. And where people can find you and what you're up to. Well, I, I, again, Mark Maurice, I, I greatly appreciate it. Anytime I get a chance to talk about pro wrestling and not about me, but a lot of people don't know my career. So I, I do enjoy talking about that once in a while as well. But I enjoy giving back. So I greatly appreciate that. And again, I'm on all social media. You can go to YouTube and just punch in Guardian of Chaos. And my channel, listen, I only have like three or 400 subscribers. I'm not looking for all that. I'm just looking to put the content out there historically and, and give back and whoever catches on does and whoever doesn't, doesn't. I appreciate everybody out there from the bottom of my heart, but it's guardian of chaos on YouTube on Twitter. 
It's at Big Daddy GOC. And the GOC stands for the Guardian of Chaos. If you hit that profile profile link on Twitter, that'll also knock you over to Guardian of Chaos on YouTube. I'm on Instagram. It's the Guardian of Chaos. I'm on Facebook on two different accounts. One of them is Jay Brony. That's right, Jay Brony. <laughs> and the other one is Protigio Fidelis El Guardian, in honor of my heritage. I'm also on everything else. Again, it doesn't matter about followers. It matters. It doesn't matter about quantity. It matters about quality. I'm on Truth Social. I'm on Rumble. I'm on Gitter. I'm on Gab. I'm on Parler. 